The following podcast is intended for a mature audience. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome back to Tale of the Manticore. Like the creature from which it takes its name, Tale of the Manticore is a mashup, a crossbreeding between two different species of storytelling. Here you will find the unpredictability of old school paper and dice games with the storycraft of a dark fantasy novel. No character is sacred and no character will be spared if the dice decide their fate is at hand. The dice determine all. According to lore, the tale of a manticore is barbed with cruel iron spikes. There will be much pain in the days ahead. Last time on Tale of the Manticore. Chapter 37 begins with a scene that shows the discovery and rescue of the player characters who have almost succumbed to thirst and hunger. Next, there's an overview of the prosperous Dwarven Citadel and its surroundings known as Thangar, the Sanctuary. We come back to the player characters who are revived and questioned and then sent along to have an audience with Baynor Augerstone, the chief of Thangar. Augerstone takes an emotional Ursuleth into his charge and dismisses the others, saying they will meet again later that evening. It is a very rare thing in Tale of the Manticore for PCs to have safety, security, or even the chance to do mundane things like buying equipment, but in this episode they do get such a chance. Eridine and Ursuleth go off together to sell a few items and buy some badly needed supplies too. While at a bookstore, Umura meets Imawan Essek, the ambassador of Koth. Imawan takes an immediate liking to Umura, and it seems that in the near future, these two may have much to discuss. Before we catch up with Harl and Gyrios, we need to pay some attention to Eridine for just a few minutes, because today, Eridine achieves level four. There's just something so great about a level up day. Let's get started. Hit points are first. Remember that for thieves and magic users, I will min out at half rounded down. Eridine has no constitution bonus, so this is a straight roll. Here it is. Bad luck. I got a one. Rounded up to two, that takes her hit point maximum from 12 to 14. Still, not bad at all. Ability score increases are next. A 6 on a d6 indicates an increase of 1 point. Here goes. Strength. A 5. Intelligence. A 1. Not off to a strong start. Wisdom. Another 5. Dexterity. Goes without saying that a 6 here would sure be nice. A 3. Constitution. I got a 4. Last chance. Charisma. A six. I thought this might be a dud level. Plus one bonus takes her from a 15 to a 16. Wow. Does that do anything bonus-wise? Hmm. Turns out yes and no. Her plus one reaction bonus doesn't change, but if she ever hires retainers, there's a slight improvement to her ability to manage them. 
not super useful at this time, but kind of cool anyway. And as usual, it makes sense. Aradine is more sure of herself now than she's ever been, and the way she looks, and especially the way she sounds, is, if nothing else, disarming. Of course, the real benefits for a rogue when leveling up are in the special abilities. Let's see if she'll enjoy anything particularly noteworthy. Okay, this is interesting. At fourth level, thieves gain the ability to read non-magical texts in any language with an 80% chance to succeed. Hmm. As much as I want to stay true to the basic rules, this does not make a lot of sense for Aradine. Where would this ability come from? I'll rule that she can only do this if I can justify it logically in the context of the story. Anything else? Let's see. To hit rolls do not change, nor do saving throws. Individual thief skills do, though. They go up by 5%, giving her a roughly 30% chance of success, give or take 5%, depending on the skill in question. Well, that's it. I wonder what Gyrios and Harl are up to. Chapter 38, Part 1, Day 48 Gyrios put a hand on Harl's shoulder as they walked through the streets, enjoying all the sights and smells of Thangar, but feeling some melancholy at the loss of their erstwhile companion. Do you think Ursulith will be alright? He asked the dwarf. Compared to how she'd be if she stayed with us, Harl replied, looking down. Yes, sure as stone, Gyrios. I'll miss her voice said the cleric, absently. Mm. Harl agreed. Ah, I think we'll find what we're looking for down this corridor. The two left the open-air part of the market and headed into the mountainside, where tunnels had been excavated to make room for more and more businesses. The air cooled pleasantly inside the tunnel, and their steps reverberated against the stone. Gyrios and Harl have found the tailor's row here, they choose clothing to suit their own simple tastes. They purchase new shirts, underclothes, and boots, throwing away the old and worn-out ones. The lot costs them five gold pieces. After, they follow the sounds of ringing hammers down an adjacent corridor to the section of the citadel where weaponsmiths and armorers could be found. Both Harl and Gyrios hand over some dented pieces for minor repairs at an armorer's, and while they wait on the work, Gyrios admires a wonderful suit of plate and mail sized for a human hanging on display. Regretfully, he cannot afford it. The suit is priced at 200 gold coins, much more than he has to spend. He does manage to cover the cost of their repairs by trading in his old painted shield, however. Next, they visit a provisioner and buy four packs of iron rations, one for each of them. They know they no longer need preserved rations, but just having them is worth the steep price for the sense of security they provide. Having almost starved to death, they have decided to never risk being undersupplied again. Finally, they book four single rooms at the Three Candles Inn, an establishment located next to the Dead Troll Tavern. Like the rations, these private rooms are a little luxury they agree to reward themselves with for the successful completion of their mission. Gyrios is looking forward to the privacy, at least as much as he is to the comfort of a real bed with the real sheets and real pillows. All told, the two men spend 40 gold coins on these things. After stowing their belongings and taking off their armor, they relax in their respective rooms for a short while before heading out to the tavern next door. Soon they would be meeting the women for a celebratory dinner. After that, 
they knew there would be some serious business to discuss with Chief Augerstone regarding the state, or perhaps I should say, the fate of Dwervar. Chapter 38, Part 2, Day 48, Early Evening, Party Status, Harl, 21 of 21 hit points, Eridin, 14 of 14 hit points, Girios, 27 of 27 hit points, Umora, 18 of 18 hit points. Spells available, Umora has memorized, Light, Shield, Levitate, and Knock. Gyrios has prayed for Cure Light Wounds and Purify Food and Water. The food here is better than the name would have you believe, insisted the smiling woman when they came in to find that she had already reserved a table. Ah, this is the very interesting person I was telling you about, said Umora, managing an uncharacteristically charming smile. This is Ambassador Imowan Essek. She indicated the handsome middle-aged lady at the table. The ambassador fairly dripped with Electrum jewelry. Necklace, earrings, and matching bangles, all made of the same precious metal, caught the glow of the tavern's soft lamplight. And these are my good friends, Eridine of Rayford, Girios of Camrenth, and Harl Stonecarver of Dwervar. A shadow of concern crossed Harl's face at the mention of his home, but he hid it quickly. From where do you hail, Lady Essek? asked Girios. From Koth, my lord, came the reply. Girios was intrigued, as was Harl. I have never met a Kothic before, said the dwarf. It is a great honor to make your acquaintance. Likewise, returned the ambassador, nodding with practiced grace. Well, said Umora, her smile faltering in the ever-so-slightly-awkward pause that followed. The food here must be good. I mean... She swept her hand through the air in front of her to indicate their surroundings. The dead troll was no beauty. It was a tumble-down place that needed new paint, new furniture, better lighting, and, well, any ventilation. It was unevenly lit, smoky, and smelled somehow all at once of stale beer, goat meat, onion broth, lamp oil, and pipe weed. It was not small, however. The troll could manage nearly 100 patrons when full to capacity, as it almost always was in the evenings. Presently, a seneschal ringlock had said to expect, the place was packed. Tables sized for dwarves and tables sized for humans were arranged like loosely fitted puzzle pieces, with just enough space for the agile serving staff to navigate from one end of the room to the kitchens. Diners filled the room to its low ceiling with smoke and laughter and talk. A barely there stage was the only space in the room without a person in it, though some kind of kettle-shaped and multi-stringed instrument leaned against the wall there. Please, please, all of you, come and take a seat. If you will allow me, I know just what to order, said the smiling ambassador. Once they were all seated and introduced, Lady Essex leaned over to Eridine and grasped both of her small hands with her own. What a beauty you are, child. Social grace such as this was a rare thing. Eridine's neck still showed signs of recent trauma, but to the ambassador, it was as though the bruising and scarring were invisible. Imawan admired her face. What gorgeous auburn hair, and those hazel eyes, just like dark jewels. 
Eridine blushed and smiled bashfully. Seated beside them, Umura tried to look like she was enjoying the exchange. How old are you, my dear? Eridine told her, and the ambassador leaned back as though astonished. Eighteen? Oh, my dear, I do envy you. My, my, well, I can remember being so young. The ambassador seemed lost in her memories for a moment. Yes, the best time of life. Wouldn't you all agree? Eridine smiled once again. She had the good sense not to show what she'd been thinking, that her early youth had been largely misspent, and her present youth could hardly be described as the best of anything, unless one enjoyed terror, pain, hardship, and frequent brushes with oblivion. Although nobody said a word, Imawan went on as though they had all agreed. Yes, yes, the very best. I am reminded of my own youth when I look upon you, Aradine. She looked back, over her shoulder. A minstrel was crossing the room towards the stage, weaving through the tables with a glass of wine held in each hand. I wonder... said Lady Essek. I'll be right back. With that, she stood, made her way to the stage, and spoke briefly to the minstrel, who had by then drained one of his glasses and set the other carefully on the stage floor. They saw the ambassador press a coin into his hand, laugh at some shared joke, and then return to their table, looking pleased with herself. She took her seat. I have requested a song for you, Aradine. An old song from my youth, but one you might know. It's the kind of tune one can hear in places like this from Camranth to Koth. Some songs are like that, you know. Mistress mine, where are you roaming? Oh, mistress mine, where are you roaming? Oh, stand here, your true love's coming. Stand here, your true love's coming. That can sing both high and low. Oh, what is love? Tis not hereafter. Oh, what is love? Tis not hereafter Trip no further, pretty sweeting Journeys end in lovers' meeting Every wise man's son doth know Present mirth hath present laughter Present mirth hath present laughter What's to come is still unsure in delay there lies no plenty Come and kiss me, sweet and twenty Yes, the stuff will not endure In delay there lies no plenty Come and kiss me, sweet and twenty Yes, the stuff will not endure Knights of Roleplay, an adventuring podcast, is an actual play, 5th edition, Dungeons & Dragons podcast. We offer a variety of content, including our actual play adventure episodes from our current campaign, as well as a rules primer 
and special episodes like one-shots and advice for players and dungeon masters. Whether you are a new player or a seasoned veteran, Knights of Roleplay offers something for anyone interested in Dungeons & Dragons. Please join us for our Spacefarers campaign, which is a mix of fantasy and science fiction. We hope our unique brand of humor and storytelling will provide you with hours of nerdy entertainment. Please visit us at knightsofroleplay.com. Chapter 38, Part 3, Day 48, Evening, Party Status. The party status is unchanged. The proprietor of the Dead Troll Tavern was a paunchy dwarf named Garrett Magger. Well past middle age with a retreating hairline and a beard the color of dishwater, Garrett ran his business like a clan chief commanding an army. He had named his establishment by asking himself, and then answering, the following question. What is the best thing in life? When Garrett wasn't haggling for a better deal on potatoes or onions in the marketplace, he could be found holding court in the kitchens of the troll. A former warrior of some renown, he was both intimidating and ruthless. Long ago, he had strong-armed the local butcher to always provide him with the best cuts. He had also ingratiated himself with Thangar's best brewer by marrying his ill-favored daughter at a time when it seemed nobody ever would. Presently, he was watching over one of his new hired cooks as the nervous young dwarf rotated the spitted goat slower or faster according to Garrett's orders and ladled the drippings back on top of the meat. When it was done to his liking, Garrett nodded tersely and strode off to some other part of the kitchen. The cook used his apron to mop sweat from his brow and then prepared skewers of meat, which he placed on a wooden platter. To this, he added three wooden bowls, each containing a different house recipe sauce, one hot, one sweet, and one sour. Once the dish was completed, he pulled a chain, which ran up to a bell on a swivel. At its knell, a harried serving girl burst in, shot him a scornful look, snatched up the dish, and disappeared back through the doorway. That's how we cinch the deal with the Miners Guild, concluded Imawan proudly. Oh, here's our food. Sorry for the wait, milady, said the waitress, as she deftly slid the platter onto the table. And with a quick bow, she was off to serve her other customers. For the next hour, the diners enjoyed Thangar's tastiest supper. The goat was hot and juicy. The sauces were each delicious and perfect in their own different way. The vegetables were fresh and the beer was superb. They ate and drank and talked without cease. It was hard to imagine how desperate and dire their lives had so recently been and how close they had come to ending. Two days ago, they had been dying of thirst and hunger and now they had plates loaded high with good food and cups of beer. Perhaps, it seemed, they could move on and have real, full, and good lives, after all. For much of the dinner, Umura was lost deep in conversation with the ambassador. It was as though the two of them were fast friends who had been reunited after a long absence, instead of virtual strangers. They spoke of many things, including Umura's new interest in the religion of Hanavi, the Blind Maiden of Hope. 
After her many conversations with Gyrios, she had begun to question whether she should not be more pious. And it was the holy water that had saved their lives back on the mountainside. Umura, as a woman who believed strongly in fate, could not ignore this. Perhaps there was more to a life of devotion and worship than she had at first thought. When Umura met Ambassador Essek in the bookstore earlier, I decided to give their meeting a small chance of turning into something meaningful, so I rolled 2d6 on the reaction table. I ruled that on a roll of 11, Umura's maximum possible score due to her charisma penalty of minus one, something interesting would happen. I rolled double sixes. After a time, the ambassador explained to the table that she was needed at a meeting with the Gem Cutters Guild and excused herself. She bid Umura walk her out, and the younger woman did so. Before she left the tavern, the ambassador paused in the doorway. From the table, Gyrios could see her place both her hands on Umura's shoulders and say something. It must have been important, for Umura's eyes went wide, and then, as the ambassador kept talking, she nodded her understanding. When Umura returned to their table, she looked a little flushed, and there was a strange look in her eyes. Is anything the matter? asked Gyrios, concerned. Hmm? Oh, no, nothing is wrong at all. Thank you, Gyrios. Umora looked at each of them before explaining. It seems that, uh, well, it, se it seems that the ambassador has offered to take me on as her apprentice. Umora swallowed hard. Well, that is wonderful news, said Gyrios. From what I remember, you were seeking a master. Uh, Will Godan of Polbrook, was it? Before we were, before, before the goblins, as a mistress, Ambassador Essek would appear to be a perfect fit for you, Umora. Umora swallowed again. Yes, yes, she is. It's, it's just that. Whatever is the matter? Asked Gyrios, leaning in. Well, it's, it's just that she's leaving for Koth in four days, and she wants me to go back with her. Permanently. Oh, was all Gyrios could think to say. Aradine and Harl were dumbstruck. Harl collected himself enough to say, Well, con congratulations. That is, if you think you will accept her offer. I mean, are you going to accept? Umura looked a bit lost. Lady Essex said to meet her tonight, after we speak with Chief Augerstone, to give her my decision. But there are so many things to consider, I'm, I'm not sure what to do. Nobody said anything. Finally, Harl raised his glass and said, Whatever you choose, Umura, I know it will be the right choice. As my father used to say, when you find yourself lost down a mine, every direction is forwards. I think this might apply to all of us in this moment. Umura tilted her head as she considered these words, and a helpless little laugh escaped her lips. <laughs> one by one, they lifted their glasses to toast their new beginnings. They turned in their seats to see what was causing the terrible noise. Garrett Magger also came out to look. He burst through the kitchen doors with a huge metal ladle in his grip and an enormous scowl written across his features. By the front door, right where Imawan Essek had spoken with Umura, 
a halfling, was ushering a protesting guest out of his seat. Hey, watch it! Once the chair was clear, the halfling stepped up onto it and then directly onto the tabletop so that his dusty boots rattled the plates and cups. The halfling had a metal serving tray in his left hand and a carving knife in the other. He was banging them together and making enough noise to cause the guests nearby to scatter, holding their ears. I have come far and I am sick of searching, yelled the halfling to the back of the room. I seek one Harl Stonecarver and his party, and I have word that they are here. Master Stonecarver, if you are here, I have news that you will wish to have right away. Thank you for listening to Tale of the Manticore. If you've enjoyed the show, please consider lending your support. There are lots of ways to help. You can recommend the show on forums or retweet episode release announcements, leave a rating or review on your preferred podcatcher, or simply tell a friend. My gratitude to everyone who has done any of these things to help me out. My thanks also to those whose voices turn the story into something more than words on a screen. Playing the role of Imawan Essek, the ambassador from Koth. Welcome back, Louisa. I appreciate your contribution to my strange storytelling experiment. Thank you very much. Once again, special thanks are due to Fabian Marmot for permission to use his authentic medieval music. You can find more of Fabian's songs at medieval.fantasy.music on Instagram. For show notes, including a link to Fabian's music, maps, and newly updated character sheets complete with ability scores, please visit taleofthemanticore.blogspot.com. As always, I'm on Instagram at Tale of the Manticore Podcast and on Twitter using the handle at manticoretale. For email, use taleofthemanticore at gmail.com. The adventure continues on the next episode of Tale of the Manticore, the story where chaos rolls. Are you a D&D player looking for some character creation inspiration? Or a DM in desperate search of ideas for great NPCs? Are you a woman or non-binary person of any sexuality, race, and everything in between who wants to hear or share their stories from the game table? Then you will want to check out the Role for Equality podcast. We're an LGBTQ plus and non-binary led show that uses history for character inspiration by telling stories about badass historical people and how to make them into a PC or NPC for your campaigns with class, race, and background suggestions. We also do interviews and discussions about our experiences as women at the game table, social issues, and advice to help give a platform to women and non-binary players of every variety. We even do a few actual play campaign episodes. There are plenty of laughs, drinks, hijinks, and more here at Roll for Equality, and we would love for you, however you identify, to come and join in the fun and camaraderie as we talk about our favorite hobby, the Roll for Equality podcast. Give us a listen on major podcast platforms, and happy adventuring.